0: Let's get to it. Let's see what Jesus has to say. And we're going to... This is, now, this series, I'm going to tell you, uh, it, it's going to be a long one, but it's... I, I'll talk... Maybe, okay, let's talk to God first. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And, uh, and, then, and then we'll get ready to see how the Lord wants to handle this through us. Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to read one verse. And, uh, and, and to be honest with you, it's, today, it's, it's probably a verse I'm not going to come back to, but we will down the line. But I think it kind of sets the tone. I want to just kind of give a, an introduction uh, to the book of Hebrews and, and tell you why it's so important to me. Verse number one, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, here's the two words, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our faithful confession. Our faithful confession. Before I pray, let me just say this. They, they, there, are not, there are more pastors than not uh, who will tell you they have never done a study on the book of Hebrews. I was in conversation with one pastor who has been passing over 40 years he says, I've never done a study on the book of Hebrews, never done a study on the book of Revelation. Another pastor, and I'm not sure exactly how long he'd been pastoring, but I know it's been over 20 years. He says, I never have done Hebrews and Revelation, and I never will. Uh, there's more people who, more pastors who don't touch Hebrews than there are those who do. And and I, I really get it. And in, in a lot of ways, I get it because uh, it's, in our modern-day Christian culture, there's a lot of language in Hebrews that's very much Old Testament, and and unfortunately, although our responsibility as believers and teachers is to know the whole counsel of God and the whole Scripture, there's not a whole lot of. Regular teaching out of the Old Testament, nor do a lot of times do people spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. And I and I will tell you that part of that move started years ago when when people became uh, gave their life to the Lord, they would just be given a New Testament, New Testament, New Testament, New Testament, and which was good. But they just fed off the New Testament. And when you read Hebrews, there there's talking it about priests and sacrifices and tabernacles and old covenants and Bible characters that's in Hebrews some we know like Moses and Abraham and Joshua some you're not as familiar with like Aaron and then there's that strange guy that nobody really has yet got a handle on by the name of Melchizedek we don't know much about Melchizedek, don't know. We, the scripture says he came from no one, went back to no one, but yet there he is in the Bible. And so there's a lot of that kind of language in there that people have had a hard time connecting. Now, there's some verses in Hebrews that all of us have probably heard. We've all heard, you know, in 13.4, uh, I believe it is, of Hebrews where it says God is the same yesterday, today, now, and forever. Uh, there's 13.5 where it says he'll never leave you and never forsake. We know Hebrews eleven six where it says it's, without faith is impossible to please God, or Hebrews 12, 1, 2, that talks about running the race. Those, those verses we might know. But generally speaking, there's, there's a lot of things in there that people just don't know. The other thing is we don't know who really wrote it. We got ideas, we got thoughts, uh, but we're not certain. The only thing we're certain of is that we don't know. We don't know who wrote it. We have a pretty good idea of who it was written to. But we don't know where those Hebrew Christians were, whether they were in Rome, whether they were in Jerusalem. We really, we really don't know. We know what the theme is, and that's what I'm going to emphasize. We know what the heart is. We know what the purpose is. It, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lengthy uh, study. Um, there's gonna be times when I'm telling you we're gonna be flying 35,000 feet above the air. And I'm gonna do my best to help you just look down and get as close a closest shot as you want to. There's other times I'm gonna take you to the deep end, pull the snorkel out of you and make you breathe till you get back to the top. But, but you're gonna learn, you're gonna grow, and we're gonna hear what God is saying. Let's pray. Touch, just touch the person next to you. Let's, let's go forward. Jesus, we thank you that we got an opportunity to hear and learn more about you. I'm very excited about this study, very excited about the book, just uh, extremely uh, anxious uh, to address this verse by verse, week by week, uh, believing that the people of God are going to learn things that they never knew. They're going to get some insight that they had never gotten. They're going to get some understanding and some revelation from you, Lord God, that they hadn't seen that they can apply to their life. Above all, Lord, we're going to exalt Jesus. We're going to exalt Jesus. We're going to consider Jesus and how you have given us the best thing that could ever happen to all of our lives. And I pray, Lord God, that we will embrace this truth, we'll embrace this word, and trust you to be glorified. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. Now, what I can tell you just right off the surface, if you would... If you read the book of Hebrews, the one thing that you're going, to, you're going to come away with right away is that you can tell that the writer is writing to some folks who are going through some discouragement. They're going through a, a discouraging season. And, and if, if, I, if I was the, to ask you, have you ever been through discouragement, honestly would be like asking you, are you human? I mean, I, who hasn't been through uh, discouragement. Is there anybody here that's never been discouraged in life? Because I'm going to resign right now and let you take this pulpit. Is there anybody here who's never been through discouragement? And the simple meaning of it is it's, it's those times or it might be a season, it might be a moment where you, you lose some desire and you lose some motivation to continue doing what you believed was good. What you believed was right. What you believe had purpose. What you believe would come to a good end or bring about some, some satisfaction. And- again many of us all of us I would say go through seasons where we hit moments of discouragement and it can come from, from, from different, different causes different things sometimes it's things that are, that are, that are said about you or said, uh, said against you and I, 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 I know that personally and many of you may know that uh, I've sat with many friends who have had accusations and things that come against them when they have done their best to uphold themselves with integrity and character and then someone brings something against them that may cause them to lose a job or lose a position. But it may come through physical or body illness where you just, no matter how you pray, no matter how you seek God, no matter how many doctors you see, you just can't seem to get through this and it affects you physically and you, and you hit points of discouragement. For some people, it's, it's idealism, things that they, that they really thought was going to work or things that they really thought was, was right. And, uh, and they end up with the would've, could've, should've mentality. Disappointment sets in. Things that they had high hopes for, great anticipation, and it, it didn't go the way that they thought. And they get disturbed, disturbed, discouraged. People, people experience it in marriage. They experience it when, when everything they want to believe is right. They've married a Christian man. They've married a Christian woman. Why isn't this working the way that it's supposed to? We've been to counseling. We've talked to other people. We, talk, we look at the scriptures. We try to put things in practice, and yet they always feel like they're on the verge of, of a divorce or a, or a separation or got to hear those words being threatened against them on a regular basis. Same with parenting. You, you do everything you can to raise your children in admonition of the Lord. And send them on the right path, and and then when they get older, and and then situations start to to go wrong, then then you get those phone calls, or you see those the way they're acting, or the way things are going, and and you start asking yourself, what did I do wrong? What happened here? Why didn't this work out? And you just keep putting more and more effort, and it just seems like it goes to no avail, and discouragement can come. For some people, it's financial. They, they, they have jobs, they work, they tithe, they may even give beyond their tithing. And, and then with all of that, it just seems like one thing happens after another. As soon as you feel like you're going to get ahead or hit level ground, then this happens. AC breaks car breaks down, uh, unexpected medical uh, expenses, and it just goes on and on and on. Am I I talking to the right church? Or or certainly as as being in coaching, when you think you got a team that can win the state championship and then they just sit up there and lose on you. I mean, lose on you. You're just, you know, you're training people or you're extending trust to folks and then they disappoint you. Then there's spiritual discouragement. All the promises of God, and some of you, many of you, have heard prophetic words and haven't seen those yet come to pass. And you just keep putting hope in it, and keep trusting in it, and keep trusting in the word. But you, but you got more losses than you got, than you got wins. And then there's that criticism. Then there's slander. You can think about the likes of Joseph. You, you had to know Joseph hit some season of discouragement when he'd done nothing wrong in 13 years in a prison cell. Even when people promised to help him, they didn't come through. Or David, after he was anointed king, and yet the man who was king was on a mission to kill him so that he never saw the throne, and he's constantly, through those 21 years of running from Saul, almost 20 years actually, running from Saul, continually crying out to God in the Psalms, like, what's up? What's happening? You you said that I was going to be king, or Jeremiah, who was called by God before he came out of his mother's womb. And yet when he went out there to do the things that God called him to do, he was thrown in prison cells and put in dungeons and told never to speak. Again, these are things that people experience in our life that causes discouragement. And that's us. These Christians that are being written to in Hebrews, it it, it was a little bit different. Same feeling of discouragement, but a little bit different. Because these are folks who left Judaism. Judaism was the old practices of faith, primarily what we see in the Old Testament. They're Hebrews, they're Jewish Christians that grew up learning those things, how to practice their faith that way, going to the temple, sacrifices, or going to the priest, uh, entering in singing the psalms and the hymns and gathering on the regular basis for festivals and things of that nature. Judaism was the way they were raised. It wasn't just something in that culture, in that background. Like for us, we're raised quote-unquote as either Americans or, or, uh, or his, uh, Mexicans or whatever culture you come from. You're raised being that first. And then somewhere down the line, maybe your family teaches it from, from the beginning, but then you, you're taught Uh, to become or or, uh, to be a Christian. But for them, when they were born Hebrews, all of the faith and schooling and education, everything went with it. That was part of their life. That was their practice. It wasn't categorized like this is how we school and this is how we live life at home and this is what we do at church and this is what we believe about God. No, no, no. It was one life. It was all one together. And so this is what they've known all of their years. And then as they grow up, as they get older and they reproduce and generation after generation they're hearing about the Messiah, they're hearing about the Messiah, they're hearing about the Messiah Messiah, and then Jesus comes. And to that generation, they began to embrace Jesus Christ. But yet they're still living in the same community. But there's a whole lot of them in that community who who have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. They don't see him as a Messiah. As a matter of fact, they saw Jesus as an imposter. We know what happened to Jesus in 33 AD. He was crucified. Then there was persecution on the church. And about this time when this letter was written, we're probably 60 or 70 AD. And there's been multitudes of Christians that's been killed. There's persecution coming from all manners, not just from the government, but also among those that they're living in the community. Because those who still practice Judaism had rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But then there was a handful of them, maybe thousands of them, that accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and was committing themselves to serving him. Well, those ones who owned businesses and those ones who had authority in the region, those who did not accept who uh, accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, were now being ostracized. They couldn't buy homes. As a matter of fact, they were getting put out of their homes. They couldn't go buy at the stores. As a matter of fact, they were scrambling to do whatever they could for food. Many of them had to live in catacombs and in caves, and they would they would build. Uh, compounds if they could like you saw in the movie if you saw the movie Paul the apostle of Jesus Christ where they all had to live in communes and, and compounds because they were being persecuted chased out of the land threatened not only from the government when Nero and the Romans was in charge but also from their own the very things that they the people that they spent life with and did life with and some of them was family and some of them are friends because they gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ and did not remain practicing the ways of old in Judaism, they would be completely ostracized as people as outcasts and misfits. They wouldn't allow them to gather together in the temple like they used to. They wouldn't allow them to participate in any of those things that they used to do. Though they did it differently and acknowledged that it was about Christ, they weren't allowed to do those things as they once were. And Satan took the opportunity to really mess with their head And really hone in on the thought, are you really better off since you've given your life to Jesus? Really start to press in on them of of thinking, was was trusting Jesus of Nazareth a mistake? Was it a delusion? Was it a sin? Did we really miss this? And you got to keep in mind now, it's been a little over 30 years since Jesus came. And remember that Jesus let them know and the disciples let them know, don't sweat it, Jesus is coming back quickly. And it's 30 years later and they're going through all this persecution and all this ostracizing and being pushed out of the community and being looked upon as people that are worthless, infidels, not even worthy to be called people. People. 30 years later and they're wondering was this a mistake are we really better off since we've given our life to jesus is this condition is this as how life is going to be and so that discouragement set in that that's part of the reason why when you read through the book the writer says some things because he knew this discouragement was going to be dangerous and, and I'll cover all of those when we go through the, the study, but, but I'll mention a few because he said some things to them in the writing of this letter, which actually is honestly a sermon that it, it's, it's in sermonic form, but that was sent to them as a letter. And, and he, he addressed these things. Like, for example, he, he says in chapter two, I'm warning you, don't drift away from the truth. In chapter four, he says, if, if, if you turn back, you're not going to enter this rest that was promised. In chapter six, he said, don't fall away. Don't fall away because there's no manner of getting back. In chapter 10, he says, if you fall away, it's almost as if you willfully have made a decision to disbelieve God and therefore you're falling back into sin. In chapter 12, he warns them, don't be unresponsive to the word. And for us... It might not be the practices of Judaism. That might not be the issue for us. In in, in times that we go through seasons of discouragement, it could be for some of those reasons that I talked about earlier. It could be because of physical challenges. It could be because of idealism. And and, and many might be so discouraged that they fall back into an old lifestyle as if that's gonna be the answer. Or or they, they start going after materialistic pursuits. Or they start manipulating situations so it come out the way that they want. Or many of us fall into self-worship. What can I do that's going to make it better for me? The old me-ism. I got to look out for me. This is not working. Discouragement is coming. Things are attacking me from every side. And then we start accepting our own personal idolatries and want to find a way to get culturally back accepted and not be looked upon like the the little Jesus freak on the school campus. We fall back into that. And what the scripture tells us is that we need confidence. We need confidence. And let me read this passage, and then I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you understand who we need confidence in. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, 34 through 36. For you had compassion on those in prison. He's talking to those that are discouraged. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. In other words, you didn't make an issue. When they started taking your property and stuff, that really didn't get you. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. In other words, you stayed focused on what you knew was true, even though all these things was happening. Therefore, he says, do not throw away your confidence. Confidence which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. It's that endurance. It's that confidence. Confidence in who? For us, it's, it's limited to one name, the name of Jesus. It, it, it's, it's limited to him. I received a testimony early this morning from Austin Hardemier. Austin's about 21, 22 years old. He serves in our in our in our sound a production team. Austin happens to own that Lincoln's Market. If you ever want a good burrito, that's a good place to go grab one. But, but. Uh, all, and, he's, and he's an eligible bachelor. I don't know why I said that, but I did. But <laughs> I- anyway, let me, just, let me just share this testimony he wrote this morning. I had got briefly word about this back in August when I was going through some health issues. He shared some of his at the same time. But let me just read this to you. It won't take long, but this is an amazing testimony. Over the past few years, I've subtly noticed some spikes, some small spikes in my heart rhythm. Thinking nothing of them, I continued on with my daily routine. As I'd entered into college with the challenges of homework and exams, I would notice the spikes more and more, but pass them off as excessive stress. At work, basic tasks that I used to do on an everyday basis would start causing me to become exhausted. Walking to my car at the end of the day would feel like a marathon. It wasn't until one afternoon I was sitting in Barnes & Noble typing away on my computer and I suddenly felt I was gonna pass out. My heart beat out of my chest. I became dizzy and faint. My peripherals started fading of black. Of course, that's when I finally accepted that something was wrong with me. After many trips to the doctor's office and even to the ER, no one had answers for me. I was passed off as having too much anxiety and stress. I was beginning to feel defeated. These issues started affecting my service in ministry, my daily walk through life, and it made my mind go insane. It wasn't until one of my, sorry, one of my final doctor's appointments, preparing to hear the results of my lab work, where my life would change forever. The doctor walked into my room and asked me if I was alone. He sat down and diagnosed me with pheochromocytoma. Boy, they come up with some names nowadays. (laughs) An extremely rare and dangerous tumor that invades the adrenal glands. So rare, in fact, that two in a million people are diagnosed annually. With very few doctors that are familiar with this treatment, broken, I went home and told my parents. Devastated and distraught, we began the only thing we knew how or what to do, and that was pray. We began asking everyone we knew to pray for us. My father, who's normally reserved, reached out to brothers and sisters who he normally would, who never would. My mother, shaken but still steadfast, assured me we was in God's hands. My grandmother, shaken but, uh, sorry, my grandmother with her uh, grandmother prayers did the same. On Wednesday night, this Wednesday, we, we went to our CLG. They happened to go to my CLG, which V and I wasn't there, but Brandon and Angie do a great job of leading. They went to our CLD, uh, CLG. A, a prayer request was taken. We let everyone know about my situation. Without one bit of hesitation, everyone began to lay hands on me, anointing me with oil, and began to pray the most powerful words I'd ever experienced. Many whose names I've yet to remember standing there, the best way I can explain it is like I was pushed from inside my body. The Holy Spirit filled the room, and a wave of emotion overcame me. As Friday approached, talking about two days ago, awaiting the final results of my MRI to show the surgeons where exactly they needed to operate, I wasn't sure what to expect. The entire day, I was making myself sick over what was going to happen. Holding on to the one thing I had left, my faith. Sitting there with my parents, the doctor comes in and doesn't sit. He just stands there and says, congratulations, you don't have a tumor, and I don't know why. Come on, somebody, come on. He said, I don't know why. Austin went on to say, I do. It's all because of Jesus. Come on. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. Woo! All because of him. And so, so yes, yes, and yes, and amen. And so that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's telling him, I get it. I understand there's times of discouragement. I understand there's things that we go to, but this is what he's saying. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. It's better than going back to the old lifestyle, better than going to idealism, better than falling back on materialism, better than falling back on self-worship, better than going back to old religions and old practices. Jesus is better. Jesus himself said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is better. Can you say amen? amen. Listen to what the scripture says in Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. But because Jesus lives forever, His priesthood lasts forever. Listen to this. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Can you say amen? Amen. Jesus is better. Listen, you're going to see some pictures on the screen. One of the things I love about Yuma, I love seeing the lettuce fields. I love seeing them. there's certain drives that I take one of them is coming down off 24th street past that fun factory down into the valley when the fields are just full of lettuce some of you know this some of you don't but 90% of the lettuce from November to March that's sent around the world comes from Yuma Arizona billions and billions of tons of lettuce goes here one farmer told me from November to March he says you can stand at 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 the border you'll count a thousand trucks a day going out of here hauling produce I love seeing the lettuce fields. We got green lettuce. We got red lettuce. Now they got white lettuce. They got all kinds of lettuce, all kinds of lettuce. And I love it. I love the multitude of it. My friend Jeff Howie came here and preached in 2013. And we were riding in those fields. And he kept saying lettuce, 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 lettuce. And I'm looking at him thinking, okay, I know you're a little strange, but now you really tripping. I, yeah, I see the lettuce. I see the lettuce every day. What is it about the lettuce that you don't see? You ain't never seen lettuce? Lettuce, lettuce. He just kept going on. Lettuce, lettuce. And then he got up that evening and preached. And he preached out of the book of Hebrews because he found 14 times where the writer of Hebrews says, "Let us, let us." Let us and listen. I want to share this with you. And I, I borrow this straight from, from Jeff Howie. It's an amazing because just like our valley is full of lettuce, the reminders that the scripture gives us in Hebrews about moving in our faith is all about let us look at your neighbor and say, Let us. Yes. Listen to this. Hebrews 4:11. This is because we're believers, so let us do our best to enter the rest. Hebrews 14, let us come boldly before the throne of our gracious God and we'll receive mercy. Hebrews 6, 1, let us leave the elementary doctrines and go on to maturity. Hebrews 10, 23, and 24, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he, he who promises faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Can you say amen? amen. Hebrews 12:1, let us lay aside every weight and sin that Cleans us so easily. And let us run the endurance of the race that's set before us. Hebrews 12, 28, look at this. Let us therefore be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. And how about this one? Hebrews 13, 13 and 15. Let us go out to the camp, outside where Jesus is, where he was crucified. Bear the disgrace that he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to him. Can you shout hallelujah? Let us full of lettuce in the scripture and I'm going to I'm going to close with this because here's the final encouragement I'll give and then I'll break this book down for 19 weeks. We got to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's the bottom line. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life break that down mathematically i went to you high i'm a math whiz because i went to you high and when jesus says i am the way the truth and the life all that equals jesus and there is no other equation it's all about him if he is the way if he is the truth if he is the life then there is no other way there is no other truth and there is no other life can you say amen And then 12.2 says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Why? He's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus is the champion. Jesus, you ain't got to go to no pumpkin patch to be a champion. Jesus is the champion. He is the one we keep our eyes on. He is the author, and he is the finisher of our faith. Can you say amen? And here's the last one, and you can stand on this one. Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures. The scripture says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. There is no other salvation. No one else under heaven. His name is Jesus. Jesus. He's the one. He's the only one. No reason to turn back. No reason to get discouraged. No reason to camp there. You keep your eyes on Jesus. I forgot I was going to have this brick let me just give you a little illustration. You're saying it won't take a minute. But, but you know, he said Jesus was a chief cornerstone. And, and, and if you know the story of when they built the temple, they would never uh, put any, uh, they would never cut the stones. They would, they would send the rocks from a rock quarry. The people up top could not, be, could not talk. This was the instructions that God gave them when they were building the temple, the temple that they were to come worship him in. And so they would get the rocks out of the rock quarry. They would cut them there and then they would send them up front and when they got there, they just put them in. Put them in place. Put them in place. Perfectly cut. Every now and then, they would get a stone that didn't seem to fit in the spot that they were putting it in. And so they would set that stone aside and wait for the other stones to come and then they would keep doing the little things. But then they got to a place where they need to make it more solid, where they know it was going to hold up. So they would send a message down They would write a note and send it down and say, hey, we need the cornerstone. And the message would come back up. Well, the stone that you set aside, that is the cornerstone. The one you set aside. And he says, and so the scripture goes on to say, and this is the implication to us about Jesus. Oftentimes, the God of our life is trying to give us the foundations we need to build on. But every now and then we'll get one that's got Jesus on it and don't see how it fits and then we'll start saying this ain't working this ain't happening why am I life stable why not it staying strong how come I keep falling how come I keep tipping how come I keep going in discouragement and then somebody like this crazy fella up here will come along and say the build the rock that you threw to the side the stone that you thought meant nothing that is your cornerstone Jesus is the one. He's the only one. There is no salvation outside. Whoa! There is no salvation outside of him. It's all about Jesus. Father, I thank you. I thank you. You've been so good to us. I thank you, Lord God, for your truth. I thank you even today. No matter what people are experiencing, no matter what they're going through, no matter what's happening in their life, there is a Jesus. There is a name. Love has a name. Faith has a name. Healing has a name. There is a name. And that name is Jesus. Father, my heart's desire today is whoever here, Lord God, has heard this message. I don't know what condition they're in. I don't know what's going on in their life. But I'm praying today that they would be encouraged. They would grab a hold of their confidence that they will endure because there's a promise waiting there's a promise waiting while your heads are bowed eyes are closed prayer team I want you to come I'm going to pray this prayer for you if you if you if you need to embrace this I'm going to ask the Lord to open up your heart and mind don't know what you're going through and you don't even need to tell me. but you know if you want to just hold your hands up high I'm going to pray that God will just give you that encourages them, that faith you need father all over this building people may be having different issues some marriage some financial some parenting some might even be spiritual some might feel just like what we talked about disappointed Satan comes and bombards their mind and say things silly things like are you really better off since you gave your life to Jesus Is those church people really care about you are they all that that they say they are are they really family why are you feeling alone why are you feeling depressed First of all, I rebuke that demon in the name of the Lord Jesus. Second of all, I'm praying for you right now that you would look, keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm telling you, he's a God that keeps his promises. He'll be there for you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Just hold on to your confidence. Now, while your heads are bowed, I want to just ask one more thing. If you're here today and you haven't come to that place to trust Jesus, you haven't come to that place where you want to where you've made that commitment that you're going to surrender your life to him I, I, I want to tell you it's the most important thing you can do it's the most important thing and, and, and I, I just your, your eyes are closed I get it your ears, your ears are open but I'm, I'm just going to remind you of that stone that they threw aside many of you have thrown that stone aside and it's the grace of God that you hear again today Getting another opportunity, and Jesus is coming and saying to you, I'm the stone that you rejected. That's the foundation. That's what you need. That's who you need. I'm who you need. I'm the stone. And so I want to ask if you haven't made that commitment today and you want to make Jesus the foundation of your life, I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, I just want you to raise your hands. We're going to make eye contact. We're going to pray. We're going to pray as a whole, actually. But we're going to pray specifically for you on the count of three. One, two, three. If you want to make Jesus your cornerstone, get your hands up. God bless you. God bless you, young lady. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you, young man. I see you. God bless you. We're going to pray. We're all going to pray. I want everybody to pray with me. Let's just pray this out loud. And I'll give some instructions. Lord Jesus, today, I believe you are my cornerstone. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Today I make a commitment to surrender my life to you. I want to be your disciple. I want to learn of you. I want to trust you to the end of my life. Looking forward for your return. To take me home with you. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. I'm going to close this time out. Those of you that made that confession of faith, you can come down and let somebody here know. And, and they'll pray with you further. They'll give you some final instructions. Also on the way out, you'll see a couple of people at tables. Some are for those of you that want to take the next steps of baptism and grow track. Uh, want to be part of us. One of our small groups that we call CLG. Want to serve on a team. You'll see, a, you'll see someone out there for that. If you want to help. Pastor this Church in Guiana, South Africa, you'll see someone out there for that. If, you, if you've if made a commitment to give your life to Christ, you can let somebody here know, which I would prefer, or you can let somebody know out there and they'll give you the next step. We got gift bags for you if you're a first-time visitor. But I'm telling you, you're at a good place, you're at a safe place, and if you made that decision for Christ, it's the best decision you've ever made in your life. You heard the testimonies of these young people today that gave, that went public with their faith. That's because they came to the conclusion Jesus is real. You don't hear testimonies like Austin's unless you know Jesus is real. And so we, we thank you. Well, Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to be here together and to learn from you and to worship and to rejoice. We trust you, Lord God, as we go from here to our various places. Be with us. Continue to speak to our life through the word, through the Holy Spirit. Let us look forward to being in community together in our small groups. And Lord, we thank you for the people of God that made a confession of faith, those that were baptized, and those, Lord God, who today maybe had already made a confession, maybe already been baptized, but today they said, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to endure. I'm going to stay strong. I'm going to hold on to my confidence. Jesus is my Lord. So Father, bless us. We thank you. Watch over us and keep us and be glorified in Jesus' name. God bless you. Have a great day.